Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road and coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman, Hi, everybody, and our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we are going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon related questions today. You can submit them at trainerroadcom slash podcast. We'll come through those questions, answer as many as we can every week. Uh, before we get into those questions, uh, we have a few things to, to cover. Um, firstly, uh, for anybody that's coming to cyclocross nationals, you mentioned this before, uh, we'll be having an event the night before the pro race. That'll be Saturday evening uh, before the pro race. And we'll be having it here at train road HQ. So more details to come on that. Nate's, um, do we want to oh, talk yeah. about the job posting still? Yep. Still hiring, uh, three web engineers. And actually we're going to also hire another app engineer. So on the app side, we use Xamarin. And if you're good at, uh, Xamarin, Xamarin forms, iOS, Android, um, Mac and PC, uh, apply now at trainer.com slash jobs. That's, yes. That's, that's it. Cool. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and then do you also wanted to, something oh, yeah. we got sent. So for those that don't know, uh, if you've been to like target, you can, you see like every man Jack products. I've seen them other places too, but I see them at target all the time. Really not. Like, they're like toiletries for men mm -hmm. and they sponsor a triathlon <clears throat> team. And, uh, Darren mounts is actually the director of that team. And he sent over a really cool piece that Goo, uh, the nutrition company did, did a mini documentary on him, right? Yeah. Just kind of like what a triathlete goes through to qualify for Kona. And that Everyman Jack team is probably the fastest non-pro team in the world for triathlon, I think. Yeah. Pretty fast, guys. Yeah. It wasn't, wasn't this year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the year before, I think that the majority, it was like over 80% of their team qualified for Kona, I think. Like, yeah. That's pretty that's good. That's really good. And they're how big a team? Ah, oh, geez. Uh, they're upwards of 20 guys, I think. So, huh. and if we actually, there, not this year, but the year prior, when we were flying to Kona, there were a handful of them on the, on the plane and all of them just look like insane. Like everyone looks fit in Kona and it's a great way to feel bad about yourself if you're there because <laughs> everyone around you is fit and beautiful, but these guys were extremely fit and they were like eating like nuts and berries while all of us yeah. were eating like all, crackers they, and stuff. They all brought their own food. You're right. Like yeah. on the plane, they like brought out Tupperware and like, here I go, yeah. eat my food. Yeah. But that's dedication. And you see that in this video. So it's, even if you're not a triathlete, I like it uh, because it's inspirational. Like yeah. anything that makes me kind of like, oh yeah, I want to train more. I like to watch. Yeah. So it's called the other side of fear. Um, if you just Google that and probably do goo or every man, Jack or triathlon, it'll come up. Yeah. Yeah. It's an awesome thing. I, I would check it out for sure. Uh, beyond that, Nate, we have a few things to cover with you. You've been racing. And the other day we did a tally racing I'm using air quotes. <laughs> we, we did a tally. A well, let's talk about Sacramento things. first because, okay. Cause that leads into it. That lead, that good idea. Yeah, that's I, true. Real quick. I just did a cross race in Sacramento, got smoked really bad. <laughs> which, which category? Uh, bees. Why did you get smoked? Well, they're really good in the bees. Well, That's be a, one thing. Be, but what, what, what parts of what okay, aspect yeah, yeah. of performance did you fall short? Of? Um, there's a, it was a grass course, lots of turns, okay. lose a second every turn. It's really hard to stay competitive. And um, really quick. The reason that you would lose a second on a turn is because of the, the technical prowess, perhaps that other people might have over you. Yeah. Uh, technique and all that stuff is something you're, you're constantly working on. Exactly. Um, I got a really bad start. There's a really big field of like 25 people mm. and it was an extremely fast start. And that section on another lap where I didn't sprint, I got hit 30. Okay. So mm. I had flashbacks and it, you kind of went from, uh, um, like road paved road. And then there was a lip or then we would kind of jump off and get air and okay. land on like kind of uh, grass with like holes in it. Yeah. And I just was like, no, I'm not sprinting that. But it also made, uh, kind of like you get kind of stuck in a position, especially on this course, cause it was hard to pass. But you know, even if I was in the, fr if I started in the front, I would have felt fall back a, a lot. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, and then, uh, what, what happened? So, <laughs> yeah. So there's a, like a log that you got to, one other thing before I get to that. Okay. Um, I talked about adjusting my cleats to clip out faster Yeah, yeah. where I kind of had them angled so that I wouldn't get stuck in my cleats, which I was getting stuck on the Expedos. And we actually found out that was a problem with my shoes, not the cleats. Yeah. Um, so which I was doing that. Let's cover that really yeah. quick. Cause I'm sure people will ask about that. Mm -hmm. What we found is that, so we both, we have the same shoes. But you have a larger shoe size. What size shoe? 46. Okay, so 46. And we found that the tread on that shoe, the tread sticks down a little bit more than and it's an S-work shoe. Slightly taller. Yeah, slightly taller tread. And those <laughs> shoes, they, they have a desire, those pedals, Expedos, the M48 ties are the ones that we're talking about, but their other ones are similar too. Um, a lot of shoes will make it so that your tread is what like gives you lateral stability. So that basically like you clip in, but then tread is on the outside and that sits on the pedal body. And the like Crank Brothers do that. And the problem with that is once your shoes wear down, that it feels like you're really loose and standing on like a ballpoint pen. But in this case with Expedos, they actually make it so that the part of the cleat rests on the pedal body and that's what makes it stable. But in your case, the, since the tread's longer, it's actually like making it so that it's hard to clip in, harder than normal, and then you can't really get out because your tread is pressing against that pedal body. Yeah, yeah I would get in a situation, not every time, where my foot would actually just get stuck. Yeah. Uh, and that was, it's no fun when you're trying to unclip on the trail yeah. and you're yeah. stuck. So this was kind of in response to that too. Um, but the problem I noticed is, although it's easier to clip out, it's way harder to clip in because <laughs> yeah. your feet have to be in, there's yep. less room to do that. Yeah. So I lost some time on that. And there's one section where you go over a log and uh, I ran the log during the race because in pre-race I had a problem with it. And there was a short run, or like it's kind of a steep hill. Mm -hmm. And I just flipped over the handlebars because I was trying to clip oh. in with a lot of power. Yeah. And my foot slipped and went yeah. over. And then like, you... like six people, like I was, I was the head of like a little group. Like yeah. six people passed me. Do, 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 do. Oh. And that also takes, it hurt. It wasn't that it's bad. Not but a it confidence just, builder. It, 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 and it takes the gusto. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. And totally. two, have you guys ever got it where these aren't excuses? I got smoked. Fast guys, right? Yeah, yeah. But in a race, do you ever get it where... It's like the end of a big block where you don't have as much like fire in your belly. Oh yeah. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. It's called fatigue. Yeah. yeah you're like, <laughs> I was just racing. I was like, oh, I can't wait for rest day. Like they, during the race. And I usually don't have that mentality yeah. ever. And I, I was thinking like, did you just beat yourself? Like right there, then? Yeah, you, you know did. what I mean? You exactly. Yeah. And I was yeah. trying to get out of it. and That's tricky uh, though. Once you get into that, it's hard to pull yourself out. Well, then I crashed and then I was like, and six people passed me like <laughs> boom, 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 boom. And I was like, oh. That's right. Yeah. But anyways, but the thing that you want to talk about is before the race, there's a little log and I was trying to practice to ride it. And in Cross Vegas, remember I tried to hop that curb and I topped it totally wrong. Vividly. <laughs> so this time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chad. Uh, this time, totally cleared the front wheel just fine. It's about the size of a curb. Hit the back wheel pretty hard, and uh, that kind of like it knocked me out of my pedals. I hit it that hard. Well, I got back from the race the next day, and my flat, my rear tire's flat. And it turns out I had cracked my rim almost all the way through. Bad crack. Like, have you seen a crack this bad before? Uh, yeah, it's called a just completely tacoed and broken rim. Yeah, like, right. no, but that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's darn near like through and through. You raced on this, right? Yeah. So I you didn't even know. Yeah. So it might've so kind of scared about so that. So it might've propagated through like, like the race might've made it worse, Yeah. but it basically, it looks like one of your spokes pulled down through the, through the, the rim. And it actually, in a lot of cases when that happens, you'll see that the, the crack goes longitudinally from one spoke hole to the next spoke hole. But in this case, it just cracked up toward the bead. It's yeah. scary looking. 
That's because yeah, that's so like that's a, a thirty-two millimeter wheel too. So yeah. this yeah. is a Roval CLX thirty-two. Yeah, got a replacement coming, but uh, it's a little scary, and it doesn't have that. Also, does not inspire confidence, nope. mm. and especially because on that race, there's a little, there's some like a little downhill, and you know, I was hitting it hard. And there's that other spot where I was going like I hit thirty. Thank goodness you then it jump was your, off something. Thank goodness it was the rear wheel. Not yeah, the front. exactly. <laughs> if the rear wheel fails, usually it's something that you can get away with. Um, but depending on skill, depending on skill, <laughs> and we're talking cross here on road, nothing failing is ever good. But anyways, I, I'm gonna uh, one so two takeaways: get your cleats right. Yeah. Um, practice skills or three takeaways, and then check your equipment. Yeah. yeah so what, what does that bring your damage report to for, for the <laughs> 2017 <cover> season? <laughs> it wasn't the best season. So first, uh, you crashed at Chico. Yeah. And that's when you broke your collarbone. Broke his body. Yes. Yep. So that body. Was, yeah. That's some money. And then S Works Venge. Uh, and that yeah. one, that was the old S Works Venge. Yeah. And never, we didn't find a crack in it, but I hit so hard and so fast. Yeah. Like, over, you were going like 30 miles an hour, or right? 32 or something. It was, yeah. it was that to zero. Yeah. That's what my Garmin said. Uh, and that's what my body felt Pretty too. <laughs> so I so, didn't trust it after that. And it was an old bike and I wanted a new disc bike. So I was like, so it was yeah. kind of convenient. Yeah. And then you broke your evade in that crash. The right? helmet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because I, that, that didn't crack either, but Doesn't if you matter. land on your head and get a concussion, it's garbage. Yeah. Get rid of the garbage, thing, man. Get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, you tore up your TT suit, the evade. TT yeah. Suit. It was the TTGC suit. And okay. I just wore it in that race. Cause I was like, I want every second it's a 500 dollars suit oh, right yeah Holy and the God. er it kind of got scraped up and then in the uh in the er they cut it off me oh yeah and if it's scraped up it's one thing but when it's not scraped up that kills me man like mm -hmm. i just want to like i understand just, that i have limbs not where they should be so but quick with those scissors it couldn't, <laughs> no, they, asked, scissor they asked me oh. and it was torn but there was no way i could get i would have right. worn it for like four months if yeah. not <laughs> fair enough yeah until it until it decayed on you yeah uh then at single track six you broke a Yeti 4.5. Yeah. You broke the top tube on that yeah. one. And I Cracked think it, it was my knee and you guys think it was, I don't know. We're but pretty sure it was not your knee. <laughs> it would take a lot of, I would take a strong You guys knee. don't know how, I got a scar on my knee from that hit, so. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, then now you broke a Roval CLX 32. Yep. Let's not even put dollar figures to this. That's a Let's lot not, of stuff. No. Hopefully <laughs> 2018 will be better. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, what have you broken this year? Uh, I, I caught a pedal and I, I dinged one of the the cleats or the the mechanisms that hold the cleats. Oh. Noob. Terrible. Yeah, so we're <laughs> kind of, of you, in the same on the same page there. <laughs> <laughs> not remotely close. No. Um, cool. Um, one other thing. So. Well, first of all, we've mentioned this a few times. We have some exciting stuff coming uh, for Trainer Road. And if you go into your profile and go into Ride Sync, you can sync uh, your Gar your uh, Trainer Road account with Garmin Connect and Strava. I recommend you do so. Um, it's exciting stuff. Uh, the last thing we want to cover uh, before we get into the questions, you brought up something. We always talk about consist consistency. We always talk about quality with your training, <clears throat> which makes you faster. And in the end, or not necessarily which makes you faster, but how each of those components make you faster. And in this case, we figured, why are we not just combining those two? Consistent quality. That's what it is, right? And they always talk about like in basketball, like perfect practice when you do free throws, not just practice. Yeah, it's not practice right? that makes perfect. It's perfect practice yeah. that makes perfect. Same with cycling. It's consistent quality. And that's where, because mm -hmm. you, know, you, you could be consistent and you just go out and ride with your friends a bunch, but you don't get to the next level. Mm -hmm. Or you could have quality session once a week. That's different too. Consistent yep. quality all throughout your training. 
Yeah. And then when you're talking three consistent quality sessions or more or something else like that, then that's where, and I know it makes sense, but in reality, when it comes to executing on that, we're pretty bad at it. It's us humans. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we think, eh, I don't know if we want to do that interval set today. Like it's a little harder. So good thing to just keep in mind is consistent quality and in eating too, consistent Mm -hmm. quality. It goes for most things. Yeah. Yeah. Your job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Good point. Podcasts. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Every week. Step it up, guys. Working let's on. do it. We're trying. Rob, let's get into Robin's question then. Uh, he says, hi team. Firstly, hats off to Trainer Road. As more and more training systems become available, Trainer Road remains, in my opinion, the go-to training resource for anyone serious about their cycling. That's it, man. He gets it. That's good. He says, my question relates to power to weight ratio and its correlation to theoretical race categories. We covered this a couple episodes back. Uh, we had a few people send in questions about this. We thought this was like a, a good opportunity. Um, so basically just to cover really quick, we, we covered uh, Coggins power chart where he's basically taken riders a- across a wide array of disciplines that he has here. And he's brought in more or less their power to weight ratios and tried to assimilate that to, or find an average, so to speak for an ability of a cyclist. He's quantified that ability with category five through one and, and, and those sort of things. So we covered that. And while it is, you know, once again, this is data that's generally representative. There are certainly outliers to this. So now the question he says, I've never raced in any format. However, with a watt kg, which is uh, akin to power to weight ratio of 4.2, that's 4.2 watts per kilogram of his weight for those who don't understand that. So he says a theoretical information available would suggest that I could be racing in a relatively high category. Right. Yeah. If you just went off that. Yeah. Where'd that put him? Do we remember for Uh, FTP is that would put him at cat two area, low Mm -hmm. cat two, high cat three. Yep. Yeah. So he says, sounds good. However, my issue is that the, with a weight of 52 kilograms, it's about 114 pounds. My FTP is only around 220 Watts. I imagine I would be eaten alive in any real world race situation with such a low output, unless the race is a three hour long constant climb. I certainly wouldn't be able to cut it in a crit says he. So let's say I want to enter, enter road racing. Even then I would struggle on long flat poles against riders of the similar watt KG, but sim- but much greater FTP. And that's one thing we should cover is the fact that like, you might have the same power to weight ratio as somebody that's really small and you might be really big. Uh, but the fact is that you would have a higher threshold than that person, but in certain circumstances that may mean that you have a disadvantage or that may mean that you have an advantage, right? So he says, I guess the only way to find out is, is to try it out to see how I compare in the real world. However, it does seem to suggest that the correlation between watt KG and race category, isn't that relevant, or am I misunderstanding something? It would be physically impossible for me to elevate my FTP much more. I'm just too small. Plus at 50 years old, I know performance is on the decline anyway, which by the way, 4.2 Watts per kilogram at 50 years old is solid, man. That's solid. I had thought about competing in short hill climb events. However, these are normally so short that the heavier riders with big power will still destroy me. I guess I need to move to the Alps and try to find races that start at the bottom and finish at the top more than an hour of climbing to profit my, from my low weight, low power. If only no Robin. I mean, moving to the Alps sounds great, but. And just before we get into this, the last one, just because if it's a short hill climb, the heavier riders with bigger powder don't power, don't have an advantage over you. Yeah. I mean, it really, I think that people hear short, hard climbs. Like you think of like certain races in the classics where it might be a really like really short little climbs, a big rider. If he has momentum coming into that, he can still get over it. Okay. But really when that climb lasts for, you know, we're talking two minutes, 
and, and, and longer than that, mm -hmm. it really starts to slow them down. We have a good example, just a local road race. We do all the time. We call it the wall it usually ends up being about a, you know, a three to four or three to five minute climb for most people. And that climb is one where the big guys always get to the front. They climb as hard as they can. And they think in their minds that like, I can still get over it just fine, but they do end up losing a lot on that climb because you know, it's over a minute to two minutes long and starts to, that weight starts to hit yeah, people them. explode. So let me, I'm going to rephrase this question. Can somebody who's small with a 220 watt threshold, uh, race well? At their oh, 4.2 yeah. watts per kilo. Absolutely. Oh yes. Yeah. There's a lot of options here. I mean, you, you are built like a pure climber. That doesn't mean you have to pursue just pure climbing races. I do think in terms of the criterium racing, unless you've got a mad punch, you, you can, you can, uh, push out the 20, 30 second power, 10 second power really well, then criteriums may not be your best fit, but I wouldn't say don't try it. I mean, still get out there and see how it goes. You can ride smartly. You can hide and, and play your cards such that you exploit the strengths that you have, which, you know, your strength to weight ratio is not bad. You're a small rider, which means you're aerodynamic. So should you get away by yourself, that's mm -hmm. a benefit. Yeah. So with In a criterium, uh, there's a few things with your small rider. One, you're going to accelerate much mm -hmm. easier than someone who's 190 pounds. Mm -hmm. yep. So all those surges yeah, aren't going to be as bad. Corner. When you sit in the group and you sit behind someone like Chad and I, and you find us, mm -hmm. it'll be like there's-, there's Freewheeling. Freewheeling, totally. <laughs> and you also flip that around. Yes. If there's another guy behind you and he's a bigger guy, or if there's a guy that you're particularly worried about, try to slot yourself in the rotation so that you're the one in front of him, because yep. he's never going to get a good break from the wind. Let's say you can accelerate and you're on a break with me. Mm -hmm. And I've done this with other riders that are smaller and I'm trying to draft off you. It feels like there is no Perfect. benefit. And yep. if you get really uh, small and like bunch up, you can really put the hurt on me. We talked about this. It's like the opposite of what we talked about last week. Yep. Um, that's a huge advantage there. And you're doing your job. You're in front of him. You're just not really giving him any, any, you have no requirement to sit up or make yourself bigger. No, nope, certainly not, not at all. So it's a, it's a, it's an advantage that you have. And, and I, I just wanted to, sorry if I'm taking this no, off track, ahead. but with criterium racing, especially I find criterium racing in many respects to be the most strategic, not necessarily, but because it's so concentrated. Oh yeah. And it's well, a, there's short races too. So yep. Yeah, yeah. Tactics play pretty heavily. Yeah. And I, I really find like, uh, Dave Christensen is a good example. Uh, he's our videographer and he's, or our filmmaker, I should say, he's an incredible cyclist races, UCI pro races all around. He's a small guy, relatively speaking. And the way he wins criteriums, he has a, he has a high FTP and he has low weight, but the way he really wins criteriums is he is extremely clever and he is a savvy racer. And, or I shouldn't say he, he usually doesn't like to sprint for the win, but he's the type of guy that'll solo for it, but he's really tough to beat because he just, he is very good at reading a race. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you shy away from racing criteriums, because they don't necessarily favor your strengths, you could be missing out on and, lessons that'll help you across the and, board. And this is criteriums. So, you know, bad criteriums, maybe, maybe you do one or you're you don't, you just, for whatever reason, it's not your preference. So a, a rider with your, um, size and, and power is obviously well-suited to climbing. Anything that favors strength to weight and, and goes uphill is, is totally going to suit you. And just because it's, it doesn't mean you have to be climbing the entire time. I mean, look at the best climbers in the world. They have teams to support them. And even if you don't have a team built around you, you, you once again, you play the tactics, you sit in, mm -hmm. you find ways to hide until you get to those pivotal moments, the climbs, and then you unleash. I mean, you can, you could do some damage. I think this is like for, if he's 50 with 4.2 watts per kilo. That's good. <clears throat> There's not going to be many people that are at that same level. Oh, certainly no, no. So in a road race, you can sit in for two hours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Pretty much doing like 80 watts. Yeah. And then every hill climb. Show your face then. 
you go, you, you push the pace and everyone else who's been sitting in the wind is going to get so much more tired. Yeah, race strategically. Yeah, that's, like, that's all. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. can, it's, it'll, it's, I think it's, it's an advantage. And, and even at 50, is that what we're talking? Yeah, yeah. Even at 50 years of age, don't give up on the fact that you can't improve your uh, FTP. It, you can bring it up another, who, who knows? Maybe you've topped out, but uh, most people, and I mean, most people have not met their genetic potentials. Yeah, that's true. I think that there's always, and it may, let's say theoretically you've topped out on the training volume you can sustain and you're doing the exact right type of training, everything else. There are still other aspects in life that you can do to, well, and to that, help. And out. that means based on those limitations, you've topped out. So, you know, exactly. say, say circumstances change and you find another couple hours a week to train, who knows, that might bring you up another, you know, 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2 watts per kg. Yep. Um, TTs. There's like, There'll be like big people who are really good at TTs, medium people are really good at TTs, mm -hmm. even small people who are really oh, yes. good at time trials. Yes. Like, I think some of the best, some of the smaller guys aren't better at time trials because they put it in their head. Like they never ride their TT bike and they just want to climb. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's like me, right? Like I think I'm a poor time trialist and I think that it's something that I've, you know, I've just built up in my head, right? And how often do you train for TTs? Never, never. Exactly. I've seen some really impressive time trials put in by people who were, you know, 130 pounds ish. And I know we're talking closer to 115 here, but still just don't, don't make these assumptions, go out and see what you can actually do. Absolutely. I think a principle with this too, that everyone should consider no matter if you're light or you're heavy or anything else is don't necessarily just shy away from the races that favor your strengths. If you look at the races that, that highlight your weaknesses or, or anything else like that, it's a good opportunity for you to learn something that can then help you be an even better racer. Um, so that that's like, I, that's how I feel with time trialing coming up. Me focusing on time trials is something I've never done before. And I consider it a weakness. Who knows if it actually is. And I think that it's going to be, but I think that it's going to be something that'll really help me become a better racer period. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, even though you may just want to find long sustained climbs and do that, cause it could be fun because you could really wreck some shop on some people here, but you know, if you know, find the other races too. And I, so I'm on the other side of it being a heavier person and, uh, it's, don't pigeon yourself, pigeonhole yourself into just certain like aspects. I can only do a, like from you, I can only do a flat course. I can only do a crit. I can only do a rolling course. Mm -hmm. It's so a, much fun to yeah. do these mountain bike races where I yeah. climb for an hour yeah. and then I am horrible at descending and I descend <laughs> for an hour, right? Yeah. Like it's cause it takes you've, me as long to descend as it does to climb. You've been a good example of that because mountain biking wasn't a comfort zone thing. And it was something that in, in all, like, if you thought through it logically, it wasn't something that you would be naturally, you know, inclined to excel I, at. It would be the worst thing I'd be good at. I mean, right. And, maybe but pure downhill would be, I'd be worse at, but I'm sure it's helped you be a better rider across the board though. And it's been so much fun. Yeah. Right. right yeah. So that's and like, that's, that's the key. I'm not a pro racer yep, and I, I, I don't need to win every race. Yeah, if any of this stuff's interesting to you, don't, don't concern yourself in advance of what the results might be. Go out there and, and try it. See how fun it is for you. And maybe I never beat someone who's 140 pounds. Mm-hmm who's, you know, has a high VO2 max and great hair. Like it just won't, <laughs> <laughs> it just won't happen it's on a mountain bike. And you did motocross and stuff like Chad's, VO, like a, Chad's VO2 right max isn't that high. I don't know what, what? you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> no VO2 max, no hair. <laughs> Sorry, Chad. That's how it just works. <laughs> Science. You have the biggest muscles. Uh, so let's get into the best legs. <laughs> True story. Let's get into Charlie. He says, Hey guys, love the show. Been listening for about a year now and really enjoy it. I'm a 40 year old father of three, but still in pretty good shape. I've been active duty military for 17 years. Thank you for that, Charlie. 
I mostly trained just to stay fit and smoke the young guys in, in PT. <laughs> I was a scholarship runner in college and have done a few Olympic Xterra tries over the years, but never got seriously into triathlon because of high entry fees. Uh, we should, they are expensive. Can we cover that really quick? Because yeah. I don't know if road cyclists fully get how yeah, expensive it is. how much these people pay. <laughs> road racers complain when it's like 20, 30 bucks. <laughs> yeah. And like yeah. Lake Tahoe to, was like, like $800. Yeah, like let's hear this. Like I have to buy a one day license. It's like 29 bucks or something from USAC and they like, and cyclists lose their minds. Like, I know. I lose their minds. I hear other yeah. other races not doing USAC because it's going to be like five dollars more per race. Yeah. And and it's as crazy. a triathlete, I mean, I'm like, oh, I don't yeah. understand that. And, and granted, we get we also don't want to be in, insensitive. Like we understand like you know restrictions yeah. and budget and everything else. We totally get that. But we're just talking about comparing road cycling to triathlon. Yeah. It's hundreds of dollars. Yeah. When you're in the triathlete model and you're used mm-hmm. to races, calling a sprint race may cost a, may cost one hundred twenty dollars. Yeah. Right, and then up from that half, sir. That's, a, that's a road stage race, 120 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, triathlon is expensive. It is. Yeah. No, it lie. is very expensive. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, so, how much do people pay for like a like a what? What is the most you pay for a triathlon? I think uh, Lake Tahoe. I think it was like 750 or something. Something. Hear me. But you have to do it too. With that, it was like race uh, one year before the race. You have to right. sign up. Cause it fills up so fast yep. and then you have to get the the lodging they always do like you know minimums and it's yeah. it's expensive and so next time wow. you roadies give a triathlete you give a triathlete a pain you know or, or i should say guff grief. about yeah grief about being so hyper focused on their training and and really focused on this event and everything else remember they shelled out a There's ton a financial of cash. incentive at work there <laughs> yeah a year ahead of time yeah it's a big deal man so he says last year i used trainer road to prep for my first full road cycling season i had a lot of fun and was planning on doing some of or planning on doing the same thing this year but sticking with the structured training even when the weather is calling me outside over the summer however i was just offered a free entry into the main ironman 70.3 event in august so i'm going to use that as my a race this year i'd also like to race the early season crit series though i know these are competing goals so i'm wondering if doing a weekly b race crit in april and may will severely throw off my training for a long triathlon in august and should i switch plans after the crits are over Cheers, Charlie. So just to, if I could sum it up really quick, like he's basically just asking, can a triathlete race crits, right? And then we'll get into the timeline and everything else. But yeah. you don't usually see a triathlete in a criterium. Yeah. And we're talking a, a half distance triathlete. Mm-hmm. So, so not a, not a UCI or a, a sprint triathlete, mm-hmm. but certainly there's no reason why not, especially considering the gap between your criterium season and you're 70.3. Um, and, and on top of it all, you know, what's doesn't sound like you are a, a tried and true lifelong triathlete anyway. So it sounds like your goals are, are a little bit, uh, <clears throat> now you have this goal, but you're not locked into it uh, the, with the way someone who is a dedicated triathlete would be. So why not just enjoy it? Why not have fun with this? And even if he was a dedicated triathlete still, the crossing disciplines, as we talked about, oh, yeah. it's so much fun. It's 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 all aerobic fitness anyway. If you're aerobically mm-hmm. fit for one thing, you can tailor that to be aerobically fit for another. It always comes down to aerobic fitness. So just because you're using some anaerobic efforts within the course of these races and maybe training as such, doesn't mean it's going to hamper your training for something like a 70.3. Yeah. Yeah. I've, in the, remember the think of it like a suspension bridge in between those anaerobic efforts, the really high intensity ones, those cables that kind of connect in mm. between you're spending a lot of time working on that aerobic fitness as well. Mostly, it's not just like by far. Yep. It's not like you're just a criterium is not, is not just an anaerobic effort. It's predominantly aerobic. So, and it's, I think, uh, I like this question because a lot of people think that if I'm a steady state athlete and I do something punchy, 
Like it's going to then suddenly destroy my steady state athlete part. Or if I'm in base season uh-huh. or I'm doing sweet spot base and I do, there's like a, it's going to be disruptive can't break the somehow. Ce- can't break yeah. the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. There's like a winter crit or something. And no. if you go above it, then my whole, I get overtrained suddenly and I just can't do anything. Yep. No, I, no, no, no. I would say too, as a, a former triathlete, doing the crits, one, super fun. Uh, two, it'll it'll make you better handling. Mm-hmm. Like, and he's an ex-dare athlete, so maybe he has great handling already, but right. for in general, the tactic side of it, um, it can actually push you a little bit harder because you're with real road racers. Yes. Right, than normal. Mm-hmm. Um, road racers in general are faster than triathletes in general, although – we all know it's there's, what any triathlete yeah. should do. You swim with the best swimmers, you ride yeah. bikes with the best bike racers, and you run with the fastest runners. And I've found uh, it, criteriums can be scary at first for people that are either new to riding or hesitant with bike handling, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I've personally found more benefit from riding at a criterium. And you can you can find the spot that you're comfortable and find local races that are safe and, and everything else. But I feel like it's such a concentrated mix of learning how to, to ride well with others and bike handling. And it's a good way. Also, I think a lot of people, they may not understand the limits of, of turning and, and traction and feel really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Let's just say their limits right here. And they, they live the whole time down here. Mm-hmm. And I think that the cool part about a criterium is since there are so many corners and the pack, I mean, hopefully the whole entire pack isn't going too fast and they'll all crash. In most cases, they're going to go the speed that you can maintain through those corners. So it's really good to familiarize yourself with maybe a higher level that still isn't over your limits. And, and it sounds like you're pretty early in your competitive career here. It, mm-hmm. Whether, Regardless of what your age is, you're new to racing. You're new to road racing. Now you're new to triathlon. Now you're going to be new to criteriums. You're doing exactly what I'd recommend doing. Mm-hmm. Try a little bit of everything. See what you like the most. And he says it's going to be a B race. So- um, we talked about this last week, but it, you could rearrange your schedule where maybe a day off is mm-hmm. right before the crit mm-hmm. or the crit is, you know, if you start your week on Tuesday, you got a day of rest and it's on Thursday, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be taking, you know, four days off or a taper all the time for these crits. Cause you do have a big event coming up at 70.3, but yep. just replacing a workout, one of your higher VO2 max, or, um, I don't know. It depends on what, what phase of training you're in, but you could just right. replace a workout with it. Right. After this question, I have a question for you. Okay. So let's remember that. Yeah. And can I add one last thing that I wanted to add on this, and then we can go to you, Chad, if you have anything else on this, but mm-hmm. I, I think <coughs> that this is a great opportunity. I know, uh, for example, for example, Osa Lundstrom, she's a professional triathlete. Liz Lyles, another professional triathlete, uh, Osa was living in this region for a while. So, um, all, both of them, they rode with, with road riders the majority of the time when they were riding outside and it really helps them. And Liz constantly asks, Hey, can you join me on this ride? She always wants to do that. I think a lot of the triathlete world lives separate from the road cycling world. A lot of the time, Yeah, yeah. it could be a great opportunity for you to meet other cyclists that you could go out with and then build, you know, build just valuable friendships with, but then on top of that too, you could really benefit each other in terms of training. Yeah. We had to, those, those Aussie guys that used to come here every year, excuse me, they would spend their basically the Australian winters over here, our summers and, and do bike races upon bike races. And they were really good at the bike races. And then they, of course, finish the race, get off and go do a run right afterwards, which would freak all of us out. <laughs> but then they'd head back to Australia for their competitive season and they were top level. I yeah. Mean, they're, they're extremely good. Yeah. Go um, ahead, Nate. So you brought up something really good where, um, you talked about your tire traction is at, let's say it's at a, a 10 level okay. 10 of a building. Mm-hmm. And then, but you're only riding to, let's see, I'm only riding to like a level three or four to my traction. Mm-hmm. And I think I've been making a mistake okay. in, in like cross racing. I just moved from a cross boss to a cross wolf, cross wolf being like more, 
It's um, like a mud tire. So yeah, it's, it's got it's, taller, more angled knobs with more clearance in between, less knobs overall, and they're more angular to try to shed mud. And not not just mud, but they call it like a like it's a gnarlier, grippier. You have loose stuff, wet mm-hmm. grass. Like mm-hmm. you're gonna get some more grip. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking in my mind, these tires will make me go through those corners that I'm losing time faster. Mm. But if I'm not pushing, doesn't if, really matter. If I never hit the limit of my mm-hmm. tire. Mm-hmm. Uh, a grippier tire is just going to slow me down when it's in a straight line. Yeah, you haven't even challenged the limits of the less grippy tires. Exactly. Right. Right. And I think a lot of people, at least I think on the road side, they don't even worry about this kind of stuff because you don't want to mess with it. (laughs) Don't put tread on there. (laughs) But in cross and mountain bike, I mean, if you're never even coming loose at all, why am I getting a beefier tire to never come loose still? And I'd actually argue that that tire is a worse cornering tire Mm. than your current ones. And the reason for that- Because of the gap in the knobs. Yep. Less knobs, taller knobs- angled knobs rather than more square knobs. So what happens is that you get into a situation where you're really stressing those knobs and those knobs can fold easier. They're taller, there's less of them, there's less support. So you get uh, a less confident feeling in the tire. In most cases, you'll see if you really want a confident cornering tire, you want one that usually has a small amount of separation between top knobs and the side knobs. And those side knobs, the ones on the shoulder should be there shouldn't be a lot of gap in between them. It should almost be like a consistent, you know, very small gaps in between those tread and they should be pronounced. They don't have to stick up really high. They just have to be pronounced. Uh, the other thing you want to look for on those shoulder knobs is that instead of them flaring outward and being skinny, it'd be good to see instead of flaring out for them to kind of come straight down in straight lines to the side of the tire. And that means it's a more supportive side knob. And what that does is that little gap before you hit those shoulder knobs kind of helps you drop into those knobs and really grab all of the side knob. So it's kind of like it locks you in on a rail. I've never felt that. So I'm yeah. thinking that like, I never lean the bike enough to even, those those knobs are like clean the whole race. Untouched. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. untouched. Yeah. yeah. So what I'm thinking, I should just go file tread with some side knobs in case I like get an off camera section or I do happen to lean the bike. Yeah, within reason. I, I really do think like the tire you were using the cross boss, I think that's a great tire for, for me. Yeah, for control because it does have substantial side knobs on it. Uh, the Riddler, I guess, would be another option. And that one is much more of a file. It's not file tread, but it's got really small knobs in the center, darn near file tread. And then it's got some some bigger shoulder knobs. Either one would be good, but I've found that I feel more confident, at least on the cross boss. It really, I feel locked in. The Schwabi so, has like a all-rounder one. Mm, and they have- Yeah, the G1, yeah. I think it's called. It's got like little round ones. I'll yeah, there's uh, there's a new one. I think it's a little bit different. The, the, the knobs are just in a different like pattern. Okay. They have a file tread one, an all-rounder, and a mud tire. I was going to use the all-rounder for nationals, mm-hmm. the, the non-championship. Probably a good idea. Yeah. Unless it's muddy. <laughs> unless it's muddy, yeah. Because yeah. this is a little bit of a crazier course, I think. Yeah. And then I'm going to try the file tread on grass. That's a good idea. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Probably, that's too much about me, but I, I thought it was a good takeaway because yeah. of the tires of, of being able to, if yeah. you're not pushing the traction, why am I getting more traction tires? That's a good question. Yeah. Last, th- last uh, thing I want to add on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to step back to Charlie's question okay, and, yeah. and, and say that the one thing we didn't touch on is that you can make your criteriums very specific or more specific to, to triathlon or steady oh, yeah. state efforts. Uh-huh. And Nate's a perfect example of this. When he raced the B series or B crits, uh, he would do exactly this, get off the front, dangle out there as long as he could, maybe stick it, maybe not, but either way, he would repeat those efforts, those steady state efforts. What do you mean, maybe? <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I didn't watch it that closely. <laughs> you can be a real thorn in the side to, a, to a, a group in a criterium if you're the type of racer that just can hold steady yeah. at a level that's challenging for the rest of the field. You could you could almost go through an entire race without ever really putting in a hard punch. If you, if you ride the t- turns right, if you draft properly, 
you could save it all for that single move where you basically time trial off the front. One sign that I would say that that's not a good thing to do is if you find yourself at the front and then there are moves going constantly with you being at that pace at the front. If that's the case, yeah. sure, you might be getting the objective of your You're workout. You're just making which is it just your fun. workout. You're not really racing. Right. But at that time, if the pack's pace is roughly what your sustained pace is, and they can attack on top of that repeatedly, then, you know, it's fine if that's the goal of your workout, but if you're trying to get like a good result, then chances are you should try to pick your battles a little better. Race tactics are different in different levels, but in the local race here, probably in the B's and the C's, what happens is there'll be preems. So there'll be a lap where someone will win like a free pizza, right? And <laughs> Go uh, nuts we'll free pizza. pizza <laughs> <laughs> what happens is like six or seven people mm -hmm. sprint really hard, the rest of the pack just kind of rolls up. And yeah. then once those people are done sprinting across the line, they kind of sit up and they're totally gassed, right? Good, then they, good attack, yeah. they get back in. I would say as a triathlete, what you do is when that preem comes up, you go to, you do a little attack, but you're not sprinting. Mm. You're holding a pace that you think you're going to go over the line and you're going to hold it now for like 30 minutes. So you get that separation. And when everyone sits up, you just keep going. That's different than the A races. That doesn't happen. Everyone doesn't sprint and just sit up every time and no. wait. No, typically, no. In yeah, fact, usually what we, at least what I think, when the preem lap goes, if I'm not going for that preem, then I'm set to attack and pick up the pace right after that. Because I want to I want to make the other people that tried to attack like that, I want to make yep. them pay for that. And right? that's like, smarter, that's, right? Yeah. Gotta punish them. Yeah. Yep, exactly right. And I think that happens is like maybe eight people, they have, at least in Reno, it's like a high confidence level and more like durable fitness mm -hmm. where I, I see in the lower level ones, everyone's kind of like they're either holding out for a sprint or they have like they're, they really, really want to keep their fitness like bottled up until a certain yeah. time. You know what I mean? Like even if, even if when I would go off the front, people wouldn't work together to chase mm -hmm. me because they're like, well, if I work, I'm not gonna be able to sprint later. Yeah. They play a little too cautiously yeah. for my liking. Yeah, yeah. A little too cautious maybe. And it, I haven't raced the bees and a few years now. So yeah. it could be totally different, but this was back in like 2009, 2010. Lower category racers. Usually we've talked about this before, but the stages that stick in our mind from the tour de France in most cases are like sprint stages or like close yeah. finishes, that sort of a thing. Yeah. So in lower categories, you see a lot of the time they're shooting for that photo finish type of a thing. I'm going to sprint at the end and I'm going to make it, but in all reality, it's, it's that can be a tricky a long time to, to wait for one sprint. <laughs> I know. True. I remember doing that one of the A races and immediately there were attacks Yeah, and they didn't always stick, but it was like, Whoa. Yeah. First yeah. lap flyers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Welcome to the jungle. <laughs> so from Callum, the next question says, hi, trainer road. Thanks again for a fantastic podcast. Highlight of my Monday, listening to you on the drive to work. I recently switched to an elite Volano direct drive fluid trainer and more uh, for more or forgive me from a more basic elite mag wheel trainer. So the quick differences between if those people are wondering a fluid trainer, it usually has like a, an impeller and it's inside a little housing and it has fluid inside. So what gives it resistance is that impeller has to move through the fluid. Whereas a mag trainer usually has a magnet that moves closer or further away from a magnetically active flywheel, right? So that's how those two things provide resistance and usually fluid trainers, or I shouldn't say usually, but uh, the best mag trainer compared to the best fluid trainer, like the kinetic road machine is a really good fluid trainer in terms of feel. And it's pretty hard to get that feel where it feels easy to pedal in the beginning. Then it gets tougher with a mag trainer. They're usually more uh, linear. I'll be more usually. blunt. Yeah. <laughs> fluid trainers are better than mag trainers. Yeah. yeah mag but, trainers are less expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, but for feel fluid all the way yeah, and yeah. stabler power curve or yep. yeah, yeah. a curvier curve. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's curvier what curve, happens yeah. is on a mag one, 
it's it's a straight line, the slope. Yeah. So as you get as you put out more wattage, it's the same. Mm-hmm. And that's why they have to put it in different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, because like we're you actually have to like click this little dial to move the magnet to be able to get like you might have to click it different to hit like a really high interval or something like that. Yeah. Unless you can sometimes you can find a sweet spot where you can do all your training in one yep. level. Mm-hmm. Fluid trainer though, because it's it's you know, uh, as you spin that you say impeller. impeller? Yeah. That's a cool word. Yeah. <laughs> impeller. I would have called it something else. I learned something yeah. today. Yeah. I call it like a there fan or something. But <laughs> as that spins, um, mm-hmm. the resistance, it's like exponential. It's, and it's kind of like riding outside. Yeah. So yeah. with you don't have to change anything and you can get a whole range. Similar, range similar to the physiological tolls on the body. Mm-hmm. Same idea. And that's why. And they, they tune it, right? So Kirk Kinetic, they put just the right amount of fluid in there yes. so that it, um, so that it, you know, you can do 20 watts up to, you know, 1400 watts and their fluid is for i don't know why this is unique to them but thermo resistant yeah yes. and other people are doing that is now it? too. okay yeah it was it was unique like in 2008 but okay. other people are doing that now too that's good to see and and the last thing i would say on magnetic rollers though or on magnetic magnetic trainers the set of rollers that i have are magnetic they have three resistance levels i haven't found another set of rollers that <laughs> offers good resistance to be frank like uh, none of them have none of them do they basically don't offer enough or if you put the magnet really close then it feels like you're constantly turning through mud but with the uh, uh, quick motion rollers by Elite, the ones that I use, it feels great. It feels like a fluid trainer. Mm-hmm. That said, uh, you know, at, in a 5011, so that's my biggest gearing combo on my road bike, at a 50, and yes, I ride a compact proudly, but a 50 to 11, or 5011, I'm sitting at, you know, darn near 500 watts at about 100 RPM, 110 RPM. Is that enough for you? Which is (laughs) barely. (laughs) (laughs) It's enough for the majority of workouts, right? Like, I mean, really the majority, it's going to be rare. And if you need to, if you shift up a bunch and really put, you know, some, some effort into it, you can get up to 800, 900 watts. So, and for periodically, right? So Though that's one example where I think that maybe the fact that they're rollers allows it to, to be better, but it's rare, very rare. The one other thing that mag trainers have over fluid trainer is that they're quiet because most, yep. things aren't usually touching. So it's just the bearings and the actual trainer. So yeah. if you're in an apartment or something, that might quiet, be. yeah, mm-hmm. yep. It's a good way. Good setup. Uh, so he says the mag trainer had served me well for over five years, but the drum was starting to wear. That's what his wheel presses against. And when I increased the resistance level, the wheel would slip. Hence I decided it was time for an upgrade. However, since switching to the fluid trainer, I'm now almost struggling to keep the training, the trainer turning over. In the recovery parts of the workout, so those are the valleys in between the work parts, he says at about 50% FTP in my lowest gear, he says a 38.25, at around 90 RPM, I'm still well above the prescribed power. Is this normal for a fluid trainer? I think we could all probably say it's not normal. No, like just we talked about, they tune it so that, Mm -hmm. you know, someone who's a very beginner- Very road realistic. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. if you're in in a recovery valley, should be. Yes. Easy gear, easy work. He says, I'm barely getting into the 38 to 14 tooth gear, even on the highest power. While I'm managing to keep the cadence and power as prescribed in the workout, it just all feels a bit labored compared to my previous trainer. And I totally get that. That's a frustrating feeling when you have that. Uh, he says on my previous trainer, I would spin, be spinning comfortably in the big ring around 90 to hundred RPM for all the prescribed resistances, only meeting a problem when I tried to step up the resistance for low cadence workouts. My FTP is 240 Watts. I'm around 3.5 Watts per kilogram. And that's important that he shared that part there. So while not huge, I'm pretty happy with it as a time crunched athlete mentions that he's using a stages power meter. So that has remained consistent between the two trainers. Any advice gratefully received? Yeah. So he's right. Kind of, if, if we did a histogram of riders, 240 Watts, I think was very 
very common for like trained riders, right? For trained riders, it's fast. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. a good rider. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. 3.5 watts, mm-hmm. solid rider. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say we have a whole bunch of ideas. One yeah. thing can be, and I've, I've seen this ever in a lot of trainers, is when you switch from one trainer to another trainer and the inertial, inertial load is different, it can take a while to get used to that. Mm-hmm. And it can feel really bad. Like yeah. I even notice it. So I ride a hammer and, um, the hammer has a gigantic flywheel. Cyclops like, hammer. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And I can, it's kind of like the Wahoo kicker, but it's their version of it. Wheel off trainer. I can spin it up, get off my trainer, go to the bathroom, come back. Still and it's still spinning. spinning. Yeah. I yep. it's the wow. same thing. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. I like it. But even inside of that, if I'm doing an erg mode and I'm in like my biggest <clears throat> gear versus my smallest gear, it feels a lot harder in the smallest gear. And we talk about this mm-hmm. a lot. So mm-hmm. with you, there might be with, um, with where the power curve is and stuff, like this could be a really high resistance fluid trainer. I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. familiar with this one. Yeah. But just being in that smaller gear could be a little bit harder. Yeah, a little all, bit harder though. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, not well, he all says trainers. He's still not all, go ahead. Yeah. Not all trainers are made alike. Um, so, uh, you, you know, we, we'd be remiss to say that, you know, a mag trainer is a mag trainer, a fluid trainer is a fluid trainer, and a smart trainer is a smart trainer. As you pointed out, they're all different. And, uh, that's why even, you know, when we make like recommendations, if somebody asks, you know, me personally, and I make recommendations, I don't just say, get a mag trainer, get a fluid trainer. I usually have a specific one. So, um, my, my father has, uh, I think I, it's like a no name trainer. Um, I, I can't remember the brand of it, but it's a fluid trainer and their resistance floor is really high. And that floor, what we're talking about there is basically like the minimal amount of resistance that it can apply. And it's really high. So some of them are higher. I would assume that's either too much fluid or the impeller is sized strangely for the body, something like that. Um, and depending on the fluid inside, this could change and it gets hot and cold, but I, this almost sounds like assuming let's just assume that it isn't that your, your trainer's resistance is, is just very strange compared to the other. There are some things that you can check to make sure that they aren't affecting it. Like, uh, I'm thinking tire pressure. Well, so <laughs> this, one? this one, I looked it up. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be wrong on a few, okay. few stages. One, it has a three kilogram flywheel, big flywheel. Big. This one is a, uh, direct drive. Okay. So there's no tire pressure. Okay. There we are. Takes that out. Um, I'm almost thinking that this could be a manufacturer defect. It could. Because I have ridden, now that I look at it, I've ridden this trainer mm-hmm. and this trainer feels fantastic. Mm. Yeah. And I, I've ridden this at Interbike and, uh. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I would contact them because that is kind of weird to be able to, if you're doing 250 watts in your smallest gear. Calibration? And, right. There's awesome. no calibration. It's just, oh. yeah, just power meter with it. Mm. So let's, let's cover if somebody doesn't have, and that one looks like a dirt bike motor, doesn't it? Oh, it's actually, funny. you know what, Chad? It does have this, 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 sorry. This it does train, broadcast power. It does. So it could be calibration. But on he's Maybe. using a stages power meter. Let's remember. Oh, he is. Okay. So in in this case. Through power match. I mean, does it. That wouldn't have anything to do with it. It's not no, a smart trainer. Not a smart trainer. Just, he's, just, mm. he's just picking up the uh, gotcha. stages power yep. and riding a fluid trainer. I assume that in this case, it's probably something like a manufacturer's defect. But for those that may be in the same situation yes, that may that. not have that, let's cover the different things that could be affecting this, that basically make it so that you feel like your trainer isn't easy enough to pedal. Not a direct drive trainer, tire in contact with something. Yep. Let's talk about those ones. Uh, first thing I can think of is tire pressure. Uh, if you're running a super like high or super low tire pressure, mm-hmm. it, that can make things a lot harder to pedal. Yep. Uh, if you have that, that drum tightened down way too much. So it's basically giving you a flat tire, like pressing in that can also make things tough. Quality of the tire. If yeah. It's deteriorated to the point that it, 
it's impacting the the ride quality or the contact surface. Yeah, tires can kind of get old and rotted or stiff. You know that can well, affect it. Too, if you have a CompuTrainer, what and Chad's very familiar with this. Mm. Um, they're out of business now, but they they used to heat up so much on that drum, blow tires. It, it blow tires. It would delaminate it. Like I actually would take it off, and I could see the threads on my tire. Yeah, yeah and you'd, um, I'd see little bubbles on people's tires at times from the heat. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so that could be that possibility. Yeah. I've seen people also have their bike askew. I'm yeah, sure you saw that. Yeah, canted a little bit. If you if it's just just slightly cockeyed, it makes quite a big difference. Yeah, yeah, that could affect it. Um, so I would look at all of those options, and then also look through. Th- and this seems, you know, uh, this may seem silly to some folks, but it's worth checking out, especially if you leave your bike on the trainer for a while. Check out your bottom bracket bearings. Check out the bearings on your pedals, and then check out your drivetrain and make sure everything is just cleaned up. You know, if it's super gummed up, you'd be surprised you could be losing as much yeah. as twenty watts. And it's- is an issue that needs to be resolved because I mean, recovery has to feel like recovery. It, it will come at the expense of the quality of that workout. Yeah. So what I would do um, to, to contact Elite is I would ride in different combos and let them know the speed reported from Elite, from the trainer, uh, from the Volano mm-hmm. Smart B that you're riding. So you say at this many, at this speed, this is how many watts is coming out and kind of give them a few data points. And they might even have like a brochure, some of them do, that say what it should be. Um, and then if you're off by like a hundred Watts, there's some, there's some bearing or fluid or something's mm-hmm. off in that. Right. And you should be able to exchange it. Yeah. Um, but if you're right in line, if you're 10, 20 Watts off, that's not, that's mm-hmm. just probably difference in manufacturing or something or right. even your power meter. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'd recommend. You know, Chad, I guess let's say that you can't resolve this situation for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people have a very low FTP. Mm-hmm. And in that case that, you know, the, the, the ceiling or the floor of their trainer is just not low enough. Could they backpedal? Yeah, the fallback's always the same, and it's backpedal. It's just no load pedaling. So if it's too much work for you to actually feel recovered and ready for the next interval, then just spin backwards. It's there, there's nothing wrong with it. You're keeping your muscles active. You're still you know circulating blood. You're still doing most of what we're after with a recover or a, yeah recovery valley anyway. Hmm. So don't sweat it. Just spin backwards. Hmm. And there's no shame in a oh, low yeah. FTP. No, like no, I know, I think relative. my like wife. You're just talking about with a yeah. 114 pound rider. My wife, her first FTP test, I think she was 70, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Now she's got it up to like 190, Jeez. like through training. Good yeah. for her, right? Yeah. But everyone starts someplace. Yes. Low. And right? some like, people are just always going to be lower too. Mm-hmm. Like you, you may not be. I won't have as high of an FTP as Chad has. Like it's just how. Well, actually, who knows? Don't, but don't put yourself down. I won't be able month. to match his PRs. I guess in terms of like what what you were at. So uh, yeah, well, darn near four. <laughs> way, way back when, yeah. <laughs> yeah when, darn you were, when you were older than he was. So yeah, he, exactly. That's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just saying too, like. I remember on Slow Twitch was a triathlon forum back in the day. Mm-hmm. It's, it seems like everyone had a 400 watt FTP, right? <laughs> because the people who have the biggest FTP, like for some reason, it like just like uh, it gets shared around more. Yeah, yeah. Of so course. it seems like everyone in the world has this gigantic FTP <laughs> yeah. and it's super strong. Nobody wants to talk about a non 400 right, watt exactly. FTP. Yeah, exactly, where, where right. the majority of people are actually like at two two. 30, 40, and they're like 150, 160 pounds and- Or a more, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or right, like like that's, yeah. And that's after being trained, right? Exactly, yeah. So so if you're in that situation where your recovery recovery valleys feel too high and you feel like the fitness is a problem, don't worry about it. Uh, It's okay. And hopefully that gives you some guidelines to help it get better. CEO hat too. When we measure things at Trainer Road, when we measure them, we don't care like, so you say, we want to improve this metric. It doesn't matter where you start just that you improve it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Right? So there's one called net promoter score, how likely someone is to mm-hmm. like sh- uh, share your, your product. 
And it's just, all you got to do is take it and drive it up. So same with FTP. Yep. Don't have ego in Perfect. it. This is what it is. Yeah. Now I'm going to drive it up. That's it. Yep. Yep. We're not looking for it. big FTPs. We're looking for improved FTPs. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Performance gains in the end. Uh, Chad, once again, Chad, you can <laughs> just ask us. Uh, he says, this is my first off season with structured training and power metering. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on important data fields and connect IQ apps to have in our garments on our various profiles, indoor, tour, race, century, that sort of thing. Previously, I'd paid attention to cadence above all and kept track of heart rate zones, which, and now he mentioned that he's into power. Uh, he's using power now. He says, but which fields are most important once I'm used to pacing and training with power? And are there any notable IQ apps? And Connect IQ, for those that don't know, is basically that Garmin's operating system for, the, for their head units uh, to replace some of the default fields. And I'm riding next season with a power measurement on the bike. At first, just covering Connect IQ. I don't have any apps that I use like that for when I'm riding on the bike or anything, uh, because I, and I think that this is going to come up here. Uh, I think that we all kind of follow a less is more approach with our data fields. Right. I, I do feel though, that's somebody could make a connect IQ app where I'm like, Oh, this yeah, is exactly. like the one I want to see. So uh -huh. I, I, I'm actually not familiar with the whole library, so yeah. I can't comment on it. I think we're, none of us are super familiar with the library. No, no, I, I've, yeah. I've looked through it a few times, um, but it's actually been some time now. So, um, but less is more, I guess, is one thing that, um, even no. if somebody made that app, uh, yes, and no, yes and no, I mean, mm -hmm. I, there are some types of rides, especially training rides, indoor rides, long, slow rides where I want to display as much data as I can see. If I've got room for 12 fields, I'll have 12 fields on the screen, cool. but that's when I've got time to process that information. When, when it comes to racing and I can barely look at, at my headpiece, let alone make sense of what's on it. I want two, maybe three fields as, as little as possible. And it depends on the intensity, right? Absolutely. So even if you're training yep. and you're doing VO2 max intervals, you don't want to look at 12 fields while you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I can't look at much when I'm yeah. working that hard. <laughs> I think that uh, one thing is I, I try to use is like, cause I have a temptation to put on more fields than I need. I've, I'm sure we all feel that way because we think, oh, cadence, you know, I could use that. Or we think, Temperature of day, I could or temperature right now, that could be important if I'm riding in the winter and then we use it all summer, right? Like it's like, yeah. you know, there there are little things that we we might include where we may not need to. And what I use is kind of like my rule is if this data will affect performance positively, then I'll include it. But once again, that's within reason because you could probably justify that case for anything if you tried hard enough, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but I try to use that to keep myself honest and keep it simple because I do find that the data can be extremely valuable in a race situation, especially, sure. um, or in a training situation. Pretty distracting. And it, exactly right. Um, I guess. You, have you guys ever looked at your Garmin and then either off road or in a race have been like, Looked about them. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh shoot. And yeah. Almost had a bad thing yeah. happen. Yes. In every type of race, I've done that. Yep. So that's totally that's happened. another takeaway with <laughs> yeah. kind of not looking at these things. I think we all agree that you should. So we we all have power present pretty much on every page, right? Um, all of us. Always. Well, that, that's the one metric. If I were to just display one, that'd be it. Yeah, and yeah. that's current power. I should say. Yeah. And I have two different. I pretty much do two pages, so okay. I don't do multiple. Well. I guess I do have three pages. Yeah. We'll get into it. Yeah. So um, when you have that current power on there, smooth that power. I think that that's something that we can all agree on. Yep. Um, you may smooth it more than others. I usually have three seconds smoothing. You might want to do five second. Uh, you might want to do more. I've heard of people doing like, you know, 30 second smoothing and something really long. And I, I, I feel like if you have average power, then that's kind of bleeding into like average power. I don't know. The only reason well. I would smooth it over that long of a duration were if I were concerned with memory. And that's not really an issue that's these not, days. That's yeah. smart recording. So that smoothing won't have any smoothing is just, oh, if true. you smooth your power output on one of these fields, it's uh -huh. just the display. 
Yep. Um, inside of a Garmin, you can do smart recording, which you don't really need anymore with the new Garmins. Yep. You just want to record every second. Yeah, exactly. Um, the uh, With the how far you smooth, I think it's dependent on your power meter. Yep. I've run a whole bunch of different power meter meters, and on my stages inside, I like seven seconds. Yeah, you need more smoothing on that one. Yep. Mm -hmm. With a power tap, you actually need a little bit less smoothing. And you can just play with it until you find what you like, until you like aren't driving yourself mad. I found three seconds to be perfect with my quirk. I think I use three seconds on a quirk too. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's and that's that's across the board with all the stuff. Uh, when you get we get into average, and we're going to lay down basically like uh, what we would consider ideals, and we'll debate them too for different types of racing. But the one thing is another rule of thumb, so to speak, if it's a variable effort. And versus like a constant effort. So variable would be like a criterium <laughs> cyclocross or a cross country mountain bike. That's like an Olympic race rather than cross country Olympic, rather than cross country marathon. Uh, if it's more variable, then it's probably a greater chance to be looking at normalized power instead of average power. If you have to pick between the two, if it's a more consistent effort, then perhaps average power is a better thing to look at. Right. Mm -hmm. So I guess that that covers the rules of thumb. Or if you want it to be a really consistent effort, you could set the two side by side. Mm-hmm. And you can check them out if you want to see that. Um, now let's, let's get into basically, we'll talk about like the bare bones and then what we would do. So let's talk about variable short races. So ones like cyclocross races, sprints, uh, or sprint triathlons, criteriums, cross country, Olympic. Well, a sprint try isn't a variable race. That's well, that's true, right? It yeah. could be depending short, on the course, but in most cases not it's not going to be. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So I would, I would take that one. We'll move that one to like more like 40 K. So three second power, we can all, or I should say smooth current power. Whatever it is, your current I, power. I would argue in cyclocross and crits, you Robert. almost just need your time. Yeah. Like, because they're not going to be distance based. So I would take no distance, mm -hmm. right? Because you really don't need distance and there. That's just an extra field. Yeah. In most cases, it's going to be time. Same with cross country Olympic racing. It's, yeah. you know, you race usually for time. And then, unless you're on a break, like in a crit, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you're going to, it's going to be dangerous to look down at your head unit too much. Could be, mm -hmm. but you know, so I have that power on there, my current power output for that very situation. Cause there's not a single crit that I'm in that I don't try to go for something. Yeah. And in that situation, I do like to see where my power is at. If it's a breakaway, it'd be really helpful. Yep. And it's not as if I'm looking down at that and I'm governing my effort the whole time of the race. It's just, if you're off the front, you're really excited think, in a criterium. I think it kind of comes down to a matter of fitness. I mean, if you're the sort of guy who just wants to go out there and survive time is, is pretty much all I display. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to go out there and animate the race, it's really helpful to see yeah. how hard you're pushing when. Yeah, and it's I'll, easy to get overexcited. You know, when you make that totally. move in a criterium and you're like 500 watts feels like 200 right this. now. And yeah. then after a you while, it's, oh boy, it doesn't feel like that. You know? and, and I'm not saying like, don't put it on there, but just when you're in the pack, don't look, please. Yes. Yeah. It's a just, great point. Yeah, that goes there's for no any point. metric or any. There's yeah, no point in looking at it then. In the pack, right? Mm -hmm. No and, point and at all. Th there's no point in looking at your head unit period at that point, really. Exactly. Right. So, um, so yeah, now with that elapsed time, we said that's something that you want to keep track of. Um, yeah, in short races like that, everybody's watching <coughs> watching the clock. You brought up corner speed, or sorry, speed to help with going through corners. I, I thought that was interesting. I yeah, thought of it's, that. Yeah, it, it works in, in terms of breakaways. So if you're trading turns and you want to keep the speed the speeds pretty pretty steady, that's a useful um, application of current speed. But I like it for corners. I mean, if you're I'm the type of rider who's going to approach the corners aggressively maybe be the first one into the corner, it's really helpful to know how fast you can take that corner. Because I've seen plenty of guys who take a corner, you know, three or four back in the pace line, no problems. But when it's mm -hmm. your turn to decide how much speed to carry into that turn, 
it's really easy to blow it. Yeah, yeah, it can be. And that's another, goes back to the other point Jonathan said, is that if you are three or four back, don't look down at your head unit before the- Just, <laughs> just roll through, man. Just roll it doesn't through. matter. You just hold the wheel in front of you, yeah, so yeah. you don't need to. Exactly right. Uh, something with this, before we go any further, something that you can remember that can be a big help. You don't have to have all these data fields here because you can analyze it in post. Exactly. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> so right. a lot of the time you'll put all this stuff on because you feel like you need that data point, but you forget the fact that it's all recorded anyway, and you're going to see it in post. So uh, normalized power for something short and variable like this, I find to be helpful. It's more representative of it. Yeah. Um, that said, if you aren't aware of, for example, your limits, how long you can sustain a normalized power of blank usually, then that that doesn't necessarily prove really But if that's normalized power over the course of the race, I don't think that's very useful information. It depends, right? It depends. So for, for me, in a lot of cases, like I know where on normalized power I can sustain for a race, right? And that's, you could use average power for that very thing too. But the fact that you're constant, you're coasting and everything else during a criterium can make things a little tricky to read from average power alone. So in this case, I like normalized power, but that's basically to give myself, like, for example, I'm thinking of a race last year where on the third lap, we got into a break, right? And on the third lap, we got into the break. I was feeling good and I felt like I was riding, but I felt like it was something that I don't, I've never been able to sustain something like this before. Mm. Looked at normalized power. Fact was I couldn't. So I made the poles a little easier and I quit taking as many hero poles and everything else. And we were able to make it stick. Maybe I would have figured that out anyway, but at the same time, I feel like normalized power educated me in that moment because I thought, I know that I can't sustain this type of effort for the duration of the race. So, uh, yeah, it can be helpful, but definitely not a necessary thing. And then you mentioned also auto lapping. You could use lap times. Yeah. I've never actually used it. This is theoretical. I would mm -hmm. like to know how fast the laps are. If they're escalating, if, uh, you know, I were to get away on my own, what sort of lap time was I holding? Um, mm -hmm. can I, can I make that happen again? Why did that lap hurt so much? Oh, that was 10 seconds faster than the last lap. Why is the pace slowing? The last three laps have been slower than usual. Something's going to happen. I think there is good uh, information to be derived from it. Mm -hmm. I've never used it though. Yeah, you can use an auto lap feature in Garmin so that it uses like a GPS point as a reset, basically. I never knew that. Yeah, so you can like set like this is the spot Neither where I want I. the lap to be and then you can come around and bink and it resets. Yeah, pretty oh, sweet. Pretty cool. Yeah, I, pretty handy tool. So I feel like I should have known that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Let's go into the more sustained efforts, like mid-length races too. So we're talking like, you know, more sustained TTs, 20 to 40 KTs. Um, an Olympic try event, maybe a sprint try, something like that. Um, and I would, I would argue that, um, these same fields would work for, uh, Ironman, half Ironman. Totally could. Totally mm -hmm. could. Yep. Yeah. Uh, there may be some other ones that you want to consider with the Ironman ones, which we'll go into, but, uh, we mentioned elapsed time still could be important, especially yeah. if like a power 40K and time, TT. pretty, pretty much staples. Yeah. Yeah. And 40 K TTs. That's really helpful. A lot of the time, because you're oh. usually shooting for something around an hour mark. So it's a good, it can be a good reference point for you. Uh, average speed. And this is, this is something that that's, uh, you can either just look at your speed in that moment and try to keep it on track, or you can use average speed. What do you guys feel? I, I use average speed because I know that if I'm chasing a particular time, my average speed has to be this mathematically to make that average to make that time. And gotcha. in triathlons for me, I'm always chasing a power target mm -hmm. and the speed is, is, it's the outcome from that power. Right. And then I want to look at current speed because, um, I'll be too, like on a hill climb or something, I'll be, you know, tucked in and then I sit up mm -hmm. for the same power. If my speed drops down a whole bunch yeah. and I'm like, oh, I should tuck in again. Yeah, and even I'll like, as I'm going, I'll like 
kind of turn on my head a little bit. And mm-hmm. if it goes 0.5 up, I'm like, cool. This is my own little I'm wind tunnel. In there. Yeah. And it might not, a, a gust of wind from behind me might've happened, but right. it gives me something to do too on the long, the yeah. long triathlons. Distances can be, distance can be another handy one for you too, especially I'm thinking like in a triathlon in a 40 K TT, you kind of, perhaps it's not as useful because you're just looking at the time and you know, your goal and, and everything else. Yeah, but I like to see how that relates to how much time I have left. Yep. Or, yeah. Totally can. When you're in a triathlon, this is what goes through your head beginning of the swim you're like I, I swam so much it's gonna be awesome at the end of the swim you start thinking i'm not a swimmer but i am a biker so i can't wait till the bike starts yeah and at the end of the bike you said you know what i i'm really a runner like this bike is not so good <laughs> so you look at your distance you're like i'm almost done but i'm really gonna do the run right and at the end of the run you're like why do i do this right and afterwards you're like it's so much fun i'm gonna sign up next time spend eight hundred dollars the emotional roller coaster yeah uh, so what about variable longer races? So like road races or cross country marathon events or like, I'm thinking like the Epic rides type of races where it's a little bit more consistent. The longer stuff. I think we start seeing, uh, especially kill jewels start to figure into mm-hmm. it. If you're going to monitor your nutrition, if you're going to base your nutrition on your energy yeah. output. I, but I, 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 I think it's the opposite of where I know how much I can take in. Mm-hmm. And I already have a plan ahead of time, especially in triathlons. No, that's probably, that's the better way to go about it. Yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. Where our, and, and two, when you, cause in training, like your KJs on the day aren't going to change very much from like when you train. Yeah. And, and KJs on a screen don't tell you exactly what you're burning in terms of fuel too. So, yeah. so what's coming from fat, what's coming from nutrition that's already on board, what's coming from the nutrition you're taking in, et cetera. So that's, that's a good argument. You've assumed that you have a plan, but the fact is the majority of people that go through situations like this, they may not have this plan that's in place. And kilojoules can be an awesome way for them to remind themselves when to eat. I see a lot of people do it just on time, but the tricky thing with that is maybe you've been sitting in for a long time versus maybe it's been really hard to work or hardworking. So using kilojoules as a reminder, because I know that I forget to eat and I don't want to eat as often as as a reminder. Yeah. And it can be a helpful thing. You can set your Garmin to remind you too to eat and drink. Exactly right. And the KJ can set it off of kilojoules, which would be more accurate than setting it off of just purely time. You don't want to, uh, also like you don't want to eat exactly like replace how many no. drills you burn. No, no, no. So, just, that, so if anyone looks at that and they're like, oh, I rode 1200, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did 1200 okay. kilojoules. Better get to eat. 1200 kilojoules. No, no, no. no. But at least it, it's a more accurate indication of just pure time, I guess, is, is a, is a good thing for to help people with. Uh, Chad, you mentioned grade is, is something that you like to I have. like grade for, for road races that include large cl- or long climbs and, and Why? especially if they undulate, because there are times when I, I try to stay with people who are smaller in stature, better strength to weight. And if the grade reaches a certain point, I've kind of done myself in trying to hang on to something that was unrealistic. It hmm. just happens at the 8% point. This has worked for me in the past, probably would still work for me now if I race these races. Once the grade tips upward of 8% and the smaller riders move ahead, trying to stay with them is a bad idea. And I know I could base that on power, That's good. but I, I, I like looking at the grade too. Could this be a self-limiter? Very well could. Eight, at 8%, self-limiter up? No, based on history. It wasn't something I went into. I think I crack at 8%. No, I crack at 8% when I try to hold with Chris Phipps and, and these, these smaller riders who... Yeah. Start riding away Bring from me. Bring up a good point, Nate. I know. Both of us, are you Jonathan and I. Games? <laughs> well, no, I'm just, Jonathan and I are looking at each other yeah. on the live broadcast. Let's go do and yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I can see with power. If you're doing 800 watts, you're like, you look down, you go, I can't sustain this. It's not, it's not as soon as I see 8%, I check out, but I do, that is one thing that figures into my, my tactics from that point forward. Here's one thing that I could see with that. I think a lot of people get down on themselves, no matter what their power says, when somebody pulls away from them. 
or when a pack pulls away. And, and a lot of the time you can get into a situation where you're, you're being excessively hard on yourself. And maybe this is an opera situation where you can go, okay, it's not just that I'm slow right now. And they're just dropping me because I'm slow, but the, the, the odds are in their favor for right now. That's fine. I'll get them back. And I need to be patient right now. So it's, it's not necessarily as much yeah. as an excuse as an, as an informing metric in that respect. Yeah, I can see no, that. Not really about excuses. This is, this is because yeah. it's happened enough times for me to take it seriously. In, um, for power to weight ratio, yep. let's say John and I have four Watts power to weight ratio, both of us. Yep. Exactly. And you can go into, there's like a website, you can do best bike split or there's like a cycling analytics. analytics yeah. Website. Mm -hmm. And you can put in our different body weights and the different power. Yep. And at one, I forget what the grade is, maybe it's 6% or something. We're going the same speed. Yep. But as it tips up, even though we're same power to weight ratio, you will actually, Jonathan, be going faster. Yep. And you can go to like 10, 12%, and Jonathan will be going faster at the same power to weight ratio as I will. You're making my case. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could use power to do the same thing, and it's I could a, just gut it out and yeah, see yeah. how things go. Yeah. Or I might just have a higher power to weight than Jonathan, or he might be two seconds from giving up. I right? can see Chad's reasoning. I can, I, see, I can see his reasoning. I don't, I don't want to use it, but I see Chad's yeah. reasoning. I know. I, I understand where you're yep. coming from, Chad. And I like yeah. the grades too. I like to see what the grade is. I like to understand why it hurts so bad right yep. now for six miles an hour. It's a good point. Well, caveat with that. My Garmin has been very, very wrong on grade many times <laughs> in the moment, um, especially if you're riding in like cloudy, rainy weather, because they use barometric pressure to, to actually sense elevation a lot of the time. So I remember riding through like clouds and rain in the Sierra and we ended up, I think it was only climbing about 800 feet and we had climbed much closer to about 12,000 feet. So <laughs> it's, it's a situation where that can be, that can be misleading a bit. Allow common sense to figure into the Certainly. situation. Yep. Um, current speed, especially like uh, circuit races or lap races, um, that could be something that, that you want to look at. That said, I know a lot of people quantify like a race, like it was so hard because you're going 24 miles an hour. And I, I never use speed for that purpose right there. So, um, distance can be helpful if it's unfamiliar terrain. I've found, especially like if you're dealing with like, I'm thinking of Epic rides, like what we did there, you have aid stations. You want to know where those aid stations are. And they usually indicate those over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was hot, uh, but usually you indicate those or they indicate them, the race organizers at distance markers. So that's a, a good way to do that. Distance with cue sheets are amazing. Mm -hmm. that, that's extremely helpful. Yeah. Jonathan that's last season's revelation. Yeah. yeah. Jonathan printed them out and we taped them to our top tubes Yeah, and knowing that you have three more miles to yeah. go to one is awesome. Yeah. Pe people have asked like what program was used for that. It, it's just like standard stuff. If somebody wants to make like a website, like a widget that basically like you put these things in, I think it'd be really helpful. A lot of people would like that. So, um, two, I, you can use different pages. And mm -hmm. what I do is I have like a three second normalized power time and distance. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much, I can use that for all races. Yeah. And then I have, I switch to another page and that has my TSS, my kilojoules, my time of day, my um, temperature and all that kind of stuff. And that's where I use that in training where I'm just kind of like, I've just done something, you know, there's no one by me. I can flip through all the pages and look mm -hmm. at that and kind of like look at the data, mm -hmm. but I like it real simple. Yep. I, I keep race. it. <clears throat> that's exactly how I do it. Yep. I keep Two it screens, watered down. Three. Um, just like, keeping it basic. All the data and then minimal data. Yep. 
And a pro tip with your head units, a lot of the time you can set up your head unit to have like specific ride profiles. If you feel like you want to have one that's different so you can have like mountain biking or indoor training. time trialing yeah. or whatever else you want. indoor training, you got, tra- got trainer road for that. Yeah. Um, the head unit chat. <laughs> well, I like my head unit too. <laughs> um, so the, the last thing I want to cover is Wahoo has on their head unit, like a little like lights that light up and they change color as they go up. And I've seen people use this for different things. I was talking to Pete Morris. He's uh, the, from Cliff Bar and Trainer Road employee. Now yeah, we just you. hired him. Product Raymond, manager. Yeah, he's a product manager of the app. So we they, made him our own. <laughs> yep, he is now part of our. He's raised our average uh, watt per no our <laughs> FTP up. Yes, uh, and watt per kg. Both. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the team, Pete. Um, I was talking to him. He was he has a, a Wahoo head unit, and uh, I was I believe that he has his on there like representing heart rate or speed, perhaps I have mine representing, you can set it to represent percentage of threshold. So basically like once it gets to, I think it's orange, then you've hit your threshold. And then if it's red, it's over type of a thing, mm-hmm. but it builds up. It really does not guide my efforts. And if I'm honest, there's not a lot of value you get from it. I'm just trying to use the Christmas tree lights that are on the thing. So if those are there though, uh, I've found that the one thing that's beneficial with that is if you are in a situation where you can't look down at your head unit, but you need to know roughly where you're at. Those lights are very easy to catch out of your That's periphery kind of cool. and you can see roughly where you're at. So, um, that, that kind of lets you know, okay, I'm at threshold right now and I don't have to look down and see it. The, so. the dashboard engineer I used to be build dashboards before trainer road mm-hmm. would say, as I wanted as an exception thing. So if I was a triathlete, I would have a, I wanted to light up orange and red when I'm way too high in power, yeah. because I know in this triathlete, this Ironman, I should never be above. 280 watts. Yeah. So then I want it to light up and then, oh, shoot, yeah. you know, I got to back off my effort or else it's going to hurt me three hours from now. Exactly. Ian, he says, if I miss a session or two due to weather or life, am I best to forget it and stay on track of the program or try and find a space to slot it in? Either a double session or one day or double session one day or use a recovery day to fill in that missed workout. I appreciate that a double session will alter the week's TSS score, by the way. Thanks for the program and podcast guys, all the great, or all a great help with the knowledge. Yeah. We've addressed this question, um, numerous times and that you prioritize your quality workouts and and skip the rest when, when necessary. Um, we chose this question because he he mentions a couple of things that I really want to steer people away from, um, a double session in one day. Uh, it can be okay if that second session is like a depleted ride where you're going to go low intensity and you have specific aerobic benefit aims going along with it. However, if you're talking about doing two interval sessions in the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing goes with skipping a recovery day in lieu of uh, doing another high intensity day. Just understand what you're doing. The, the, the stress adapt scenario where you stress the system and then you rest it and allow it to adapt such that you super compensate and come back stronger and ready to do more work is interrupted. So it's certainly interrupted if you do another workout later in the same day. And of course it's interrupted if you forego a recovery day to do another high intensity workout. So just consider what you're, how you're interrupting that cycle. Mm-hmm. You're not allowing, <clears throat> excuse me, you're not allowing your body to adapt to the stress that you inflicted the first time. And you're going to heap more stress on top of it. And you expect to get faster from that. It's not logical. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not to say you can't do that occasionally. If you're looking for a higher dose of stress, like a two day block, mm-hmm. and then you're going to recover for a couple of days. So kind of a, you know, a concentrated block and then a concentrated block of recovery. Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's not what we're talking about here though. So just, just recognize that you're kind of missing the point of what you're after. You're trying to get faster, but you're interrupt your body's, interrupting your body's process of doing exactly that. Um, could they too, if let's say they had Tuesday, Thursday, because of life, they, they know I can only work out Wednesday. I can't do two of them. Yeah. 
could I just do the plus one, plus two, plus three versions of one of those workouts? A little bit harder because I know I'm going to have an extra. You could. I mean, you could up the volume as long as the intensity is you know, in line with you know what you've been doing. Yeah. That, that's that's. Yeah. Sure. So instead yeah. of two work, because I'm going to have a little extra rest, right? That's yeah. The- yeah. Why not? Yeah. So yeah. So heap more on one of those workouts, and but still prioritize your recovery following it. And in that in that kind of block, I would have that be if you could make that on Tuesday, that'd be better than Thursday because. If you do it on Thursday, you're closer to then Saturday's workout. Ideally. Yeah, yeah. ideal in an ideal world. Mm-hmm. But it obviously yeah, ideal right. doesn't always happen. Yeah, that's the truth. I, I I think that the importance of prioritizing which workouts you skip or which ones you stick to is something that's super important. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, you know, it's for example, like I'm I'm gonna miss my recover my forty minute easy workout that's gonna be at forty percent FTP today, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and that's I, I'd know. like to think that's a no brainer. And we've certainly covered it enough that I think anyone who listens to this podcast is well aware of. Yeah. So the, the more, the, the work that's more specific to the type of racing you're going to do, that sort of thing, the higher quality stuff, that's what you want to make sure that you, if you're going to miss one, try not to miss those. Right. If you have to, if you're in a situation where you can pick and choose uh, something to keep in mind with double days, I, I'm thinking back to my ski racing days when we used to do double days with dry land training. So, and, and it was hard training and that was basically dry land training equaled impending <clears throat> sickness. And, you know, back then I just thought it's fall and, you know, I'm at school, so I'm around everybody else that's sick and everything else, yeah, there's- but it always coincided. And really, I think that in this case, I was getting worked too hard back then this day. Probably and there. I mean, there is an argument. High level athletes do need those double days. They need to do some one, one type of workout early in the day, another type of workout in the later part of the day. I mean, these are guys who are guys and gals who are working out 10, 14 times a week. Yeah. They have to double up and they do it pretty consistently, yeah. but the types of work is, is different. The recovery is still absolutely prioritized. Yeah. And in this case, I, I can't say that recovery was prioritized at all <laughs> as a high school ski racer. Uh, and it was a good opportunity for my, for me to run myself down. So, uh, when you do it, once again, just be sensible, make sure that you're keeping that eye on recovery. So, you know, my last uh, double days I used to do hmm. high school marching band. <laughs> there we are. Yeah. <laughs> Those were tiring. Double days is a high school I, thing. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Rob has a power meter calibration question. He says in training, I calibrate my power meter about 20 minutes into the ride. No worries. Works well. Easy to do. The problem is in a triathlon race, obviously I'm not wanting to ease up and calibrate 20 minutes into the bike leg. How do you suggest we work around this? And just to let you guys know, um, we, we got, we went straight to the source and talked to the engineers at Cork on this one. So we have some good insight, but his first question, he says, assuming the weather conditions are likely to be the same as the day before the race, do you calibrate at the same time, the bike portion of the race will be on and then leave it. We asked them and he said, they said, this isn't necessarily a, a terrible idea, but something that's really interesting is the fact that, so actually Nate, you talked about calibration versus zeroing. Yep. They're two different things, right? Yep. Do you want to, do you want to explain really quick just once again, yep. what those are? Zeroing is like, you get on your bathroom scale, you push a button and it makes it so that it pretty much tells the system. There's no weight on the system right now. Yep. Calibration is you have to hang a weight or send it to the manufacturer. It's this long process. And that actually adjusts the slope of, of, you know, how much torque is on it yep. to be able to get the actual power meters. So you're usually just zeroing it, but everyone calls it calibrating it. Yep. They're used interchangeably. So, uh, I asked, uh, Quark, I asked them if when you're doing a zero calibration, is it taking temperature into consideration? And they said, we actually have a, a temperature sensor, a thermometer within our, within our power meters, and it's measuring multiple times a second actually, and it's constantly updating that. And then they basically have firmware installed on there that says, when it measures this, you need to account for it by adjusting things by this much. And I think that he said they have something like all the way from like, it's like way far below zero, all the way up to like a 200 degrees nearly. Mm-hmm. So like they really have it, um, 
all their bases covered with that. So when you're doing that zero calibration, it's not taking into account the temperature necessarily. Sure. It looks at that and everything else. Not on a cork. Yeah. Not on a cork. Um, what it's looking, and in most cases, they assume that that's probably the case with most good power meters across the board. They said that what they're, it's actually doing is just like what you said, Nate, it's just zeroing the scale. That's it. It's not taking into account temperature that should be taken into account constantly as you're actually riding. So, um, I under, like, I always thought I was like, it's taking into account temperature. So, you know, my garage is really cold today versus hot today. So I should do it because the temperature changed. You should just do a zero calibration because it's easy and, and you might as well do it right then. Um, I think that there's a confusion point with power meters and smart trainers here. A lot of people talk about doing a spin down calibration on their smart trainer. And you want to do that when that's warmed up. But with a power meter, once again, since the temperature is always being taken into account, you don't have to reset that power meter or do a, a zero once it's warmed up or cooled down. Mm -hmm. So in, in his case, um, you could just do it in, you know, before the race starts and not have to worry about it getting all wacky on you. Yep. In the olden days with, uh, like the first SRMs and maybe even the first quirks, I'm not sure though, mm -hmm. I don't speak out of turn on that, but it used to be, you would climb a big mountain mm -hmm. and it would be 20 watt. 20 temperature degree temperature from the base to the top yeah. and yeah. you would have to like re-zero it yep and then that would then like it would because the it didn't take into account temperature yep. and now all modern power meters have a temperature sensor on it and yep. even i think that just happened recently so if you do buy a new power meter mm -hmm. look at that to see if they have a temperature sensor, sensor. yeah uh it, something you can do too is on a quark you can backpedal five times it's five times and if you backpedal five times it uses all the data across those that how long it took to backpedal five times. And it sees that as a zero calibration that said, it sounds like, uh, the, the method they prefer, if you do a zero calibration is to draw if, and you're not backpedaling is, and you're just still on the bike, put the drive side crank arm to six o'clock and then do your zero calibration. they said, that's the best way to get the most precise and perfect readings they say. So, but the, the calibration can work. And, you know, we were thinking about this during a full distance bike leg. You might have yeah. time to backpedal five times. Yeah, even you know? even if this were an issue and you had to calibrate in mid mid ride or zero, uh, is that twenty seconds really going to be pivotal? Going downhill, for example. Yeah, you, know, I, you, might you can work it to... in there somewhere. Yeah. With backpedaling, I bet. You with backpedaling. Don't unclip going downhill. Don't unclip going downhill <laughs> Do and balance and try to use your head unit. And, and your yeah. bike's moving, so there'll be like some kind of force there um, will be exerted on the uh, crank. Yeah. So don't. You wouldn't just do, do a pedals off or a feed off calibration to be yeah. a backpedal deal. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's what I would recommend. Hopefully that, that sheds some light on, on how that, that works with some power meters. So I, I learned something from the court guys It's pretty cool. And I, I assume that if you talk to the power meter company that you're considering buying, I'm sure that they would be happy to walk you through the stuff that they do for calibrations so sure. you can figure all that out. Uh, Matt says on a previous podcast, Nate mentioned that he would bring a recovery drink with him to start drinking it on his way home to get his recovery nutrition in during the prime window or recovery nutrition uptake. I did not actually do that. I just thought had the yeah. question in my brain. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I had always assumed that the window and he uses windows and window in, in quotes here started about when I got off my bike, even if the intensity at the end was pretty low. So this is a good point. Uh, basically like, let's say you do a hard workout and then does it, does that window start after the hard intervals are done or does it start when you're done cooling down? He says, is there any data showing what triggers the start of this window, like falling below a certain heart rate or training zone? I moved a little farther from the Hills a couple of years ago. So I often have a 20 to 30 minute ride home after harder efforts that usually falls in the 60 to 70% FTP range, depending on how cooked I am from the Hills. Am I missing this recovery window? 
the question that I had was I had a 20 minute descent of no pedaling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How does my body know? Yeah. So mm. I guess you could look at it as a window, but the window is a big one and it closes gradually. So it's not like something that's open and then it's shut and then you're screwed. So, so when <laughs> we, we work out, <laughs> we work out, we, we're, uh, we're not really utilizing insulin, but when we're done, uh, in order, so we've, we've glycogen depleted the cells. We've, we've run them down to, to a low point and the higher the intensity or the longer the duration, you know, the more severe that can be. Body's really smart about that and it, it pays particular attention to it. It has a, a higher insulin receptivity. So our cells are hungrier to uptake um, in, in incoming glucose and, and make new glycogen and restock those those muscle cells. So that, that sensitivity is heightened when we're done, especially after a high intensity sort of effort, um, less so with lower intensity work. And then it just closes over time. It's not like it's there and it's gone, like I said before. So yeah, it's it's quicker on the uptake that those cells replenish more quickly when you do it closer to the workout, assuming you can stomach food at that point. Mm. But it's not to say you can't re- replenish those stores over the course of a day if, if for whatever reason you miss that quote unquote window. We're really, we as humans are very good at turning our body or perceiving our body as a system of light switches. Yeah, yeah, it's like basically not. it's on or it's off. Zone right? two, zone three, zone <laughs> yeah. four. Yeah. Exactly. It switches. We talked yeah. about the fat burning zone and the myth behind that uh, a couple episodes ago. And, and in this case, I think that this is another good example. I always, I had heard that it was like this 15 minute window. You got to hit that. Thing. Yeah. So, so that's when your sensitivity to this uptake is heightened. And, and if maybe you have a second workout you're doing that day, and this is of crucial importance to, to restock those. So for that second workout and mm-hmm. be it known, and they're not going to fully replenish in that time. It's, it's not even going to happen necessarily in 24 hours, depending on the severity of the workout, but you can prioritize it based on what's coming next. But really, if you're not doing anything, maybe you have a rest day the next day. It's it's just not a, as great a concern as people make it. Yeah, it's only the, the it's really the double days for triathletes, basically. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I've gone back and forth with recovery shakes. Yeah, I, I haven't really noticed a big difference between either one. What about either you guys? I. Either have I, honestly. No, yeah, never. I never noticed it. it over I, decades of training, never. I think that the importance with this is look at the and. I, I still eat, I should say, like, you know, we're still eating and we're yep. getting a new good nutrition after the workout. So it's not like we're starving ourselves versus that. Cause if you do that, then you will see probably, you'll probably see a difference, but I've never seen it over time deliver any type of a consistent result. It's very important that you look at like, not just one day to another, cause there could be so many variables, but if you're, you're looking at trying to, to weed that out. But you guys too are doing it. Like you're not doing a lot of double days, like these triathletes mm-hmm. or even they'll do no. three workouts in a day Yeah, where I would think that is. Like you have in your 24 hours, you have plenty of time to replenish a lot of glycogen. No, it's a much bigger concern if you're going to repeat workouts in the same day, in the same 24 hour period or narrow range of time. If you're strength training in the morning or something, and then mm-hmm. you're doing training later on or vice versa, that could be another example of could maybe be. you want to do yeah. something like that. I know a lot of, you know, pro athletes will be doing that uh, pretty regularly. So, uh, man, dispelling another myth, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, so that'll do it for the questions that we'll handle here. If you're with us on Facebook live, stick with us. We'll go through the questions that you put in and, uh, we'll address as many as we can in the next, uh, 15 minutes or so. Uh, if you're joining us just through the podcast, thanks for joining us. And we'll talk to you all next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.